Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. On this edition of V for Vellas, the dark raven of the deep state is joining us today, breaking down all the shenanigans that is happening in the background and always keeping in the foreground things that are very important and pertinent that have been happening for the last year or so. Uh, if you hear any water uh, while I'm talking, you might probably hear some trickling of water. I just want to let everybody know this broadcast is coming to you live. I am directly underneath a public urinal, so there are some sounds. <laughs> it's, uh, it's my fault and some, uh, on my end. So with that being said, gentlemen, how are you guys? Good morning, V. Good morning, CJ. How are you both? Good morning. Doing great. Thank I'm you. Doing good. The weather's beautiful. Um, it is gorgeous out there. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's nice, man. I can't complain. You know, I can't yeah, we're supposed to get. Uh, it's a little little warm here in the Midwest, uh, and then it's going to start cooling off early next week. So, oh, good. Yeah, I had I was uh, explaining to a friend of mine recently who's not from the area that I said, uh, yeah, it's not normally this hot this time <laughs> this time of year. It will be, it exactly. will be cooling off shortly. Hey, so, folks, uh, check out Quite Frankly's radio show. Uh, our buddy Frank over at Fra Quite Frankly, uh, I think he's having Matthew Arad on. Uh, um, Vela's just made me aware of this, so make sure you guys go ahead and uh, support and check out Frank's channel. Yeah, I was on uh, Frank uh, earlier this week, and we had a we had a good show. It was uh, it was a little loose, um, which is fine. Uh, you know, roll roll with the punches. I was I was uh, joking with with uh, V and CJ and some of you on the Discord channel that I said, you know, I had a prepared content. I was going to go over the whole Jeff Epstein slash uh, Bill Gates, you know, bio lab stuff that I did uh, a month or two ago. And Frank got a hold of me that morning, and he goes, uh, "Let's just do it loose. Let's let's cover the two thousand mules uh, topic instead." Yeah. So I tried to put some some notes together, but we had uh, we we had a good show. We had a good show. Did you see the two thousand mules? I have not yet. Uh, I was trying to that evening, couldn't get to it. Um, I've certainly been reading uh, <laughs> reading people's comments about it, and I saw that now the Arizona what attorney general or somebody has launched an investigation. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. What's your take on on the whole two mules thing? Uh, well, like I said on Frank's show, uh, there are several aspects of the election, and I've kind of covered this in some of my other uh, shows here on Rogue News. Um, you know, uh, he focused on just the ballot aspect of people submitting ballots in bulk, uh, yeah. and depending on what city you're in, because there's there were like certain mailboxes set up just for for voting ballots versus mail, but. D'Souza focused on just that area, and I kind of, you know, my comment to Frank was, as I said, it's broader, you know, there's everything from uh, the internet access and right. the tabulations of the votes and the machines, obviously, which continues, that rabbit hole continues to go on, and, you know, I kind of flippantly said on the show that my opinion is, is if somebody did all of those elements at once, I don't know that you'd live through the night, so, you know, by D'Souza just focusing on here are the facts, leaving it at that, and just saying, you know, here, we, we used open source data. Um, I'm, I have no doubts. I say this snarkily, but I expect uh, it's going to happen anyway. Um, 
I have a snarky suspicion that, especially in blue states, there are efforts underway as I speak to pass legislation that says, you know, certain public data now needs to be protected in the interest of public safety, like these <laughs> uh. cell phone records. You know, and I, I made a comment on Frank's show where I said, you know, and I've shared with all of you on our show, there are so many ways. Uh, I know a certain somebody over on our Discord page, and I often talk about this, the, the uh, shadowy figure who's on those 7 o'clock calls on Sundays on the Discord channel. Um, there's so much information out there, folks, that's been there for years on in public records. You know, whether you're uh, going to your local voting website, which can tell you all sorts of things about, about uh, various folks and confirming their addresses and so on, to uh, property records to uh, business filings, the list the list goes on. So that data has always been there. And the ability to purchase these cell phone records, because companies will use that uh, to study certain behaviors and so on, like at concert venues or what have you, so that they can better fine tune how they market certain products on people's cell phones and or uh, vendors that would be located in the area. So what D'Souza did is totally above board to buy that data. But it's kind of like, Time Magazine and others talking about, isn't it amazing the way in which President Obama uh, has gotten elected by using, in a very clever way, we the technocracy, in a very clever way, uh, the internet and internet data and, and web data to get elected. And then when Donald Trump got elected and credited much of what he was doing to the same thing, there was a hue and cry saying, we need laws. We got to have laws to make sure that this sort of shit doesn't happen again. And it's like, wow, could you be any more transparent? God damn, man. It's like we're, it's a clown world. It literally is a clown world. Well, and I posted a comment last night on Discord, and I mean it sincerely that, um, and, and again, folks, you know, as I've shared with all of you, you know, some of my background includes some rather hairy uh, human rights work, uh, mm -hmm. you know, research and so on. And, and I shared with all of you, you know, some of the, the mass graves in El Salvador, particularly the one at El Mazote. I was involved with a human rights organization that was conducting a, a forensics re-examination because not all the, uh, not to be indelicate, not all the bodies were recovered after after that human rights violation down in El Salvador. And it, it was yeah. a mess. I mean, America was involved in it. The El Salvadoran government was involved in it. Um, a lot of people just wanted that to go away. Um, but, you know, that the documentaries and things can bring to light data and I hate to say this, you know, it's, it's kind of like I've often told all of you, anybody who reads the book Compromised, you can pretty much get most of everything you need to know about what was really going on in Arkansas, the Clintons, who was involved, Tucker Carlson, the list goes on. Um, it's, it's all there. You got to find a copy of the book if you, can, if you can get one. In fact, I just picked up recently, uh, it's an older book, but I just picked up uh, Ambrose Pritchard's book, The Secret Life of Bill Clinton. Just, just for kicks and giggles to make sure I didn't miss anything. But, you know, you got books like that that have been published. They're footnoted. They've got all their documentation identified where their source material was. It isn't really a whole lot of conclusions. It's right there in black and white. And it just sits on a dusty bookshelf with people like me whispering to you on programs like Rogue saying, hey, uh, if uh, you ever get a chance, you know, go read that book. But you get a documentary out there. And I'm going to talk about this a little later on a, on a topic I've got for today. You put a documentary out there on pedophiles, child trafficking, human slavery, the election, um, the degree to which lobbyists are screwing you in your own government. And I don't know, it, it reminds me of, of uh, fr a friend of mine who works for NASA and, and always jokes about the fact that 
they can send into space or to Mars or wherever the most advanced platforms you can imagine. And from a scientific perspective, for PhDs, it's like, oh, we've got X-ray monitors, and we've got this, and we've got this, and we've got seismographic stuff, and it's really cool. And yet, every time NASA takes a survey of the public, it's like, where's the pictures? Do you have any pictures? I'd really like some pictures. It's like, right. But from a data perspective, we're getting so much, right, but that's all numbers. Do you have, do you have a pretty picture I can look at? And it's kind of like with DeSouza. The data's there. It's on websites. You got Ryan Dawson out there in Japan trying to stay alive and, and uh, keep doing his thing. The, the data's there. But, but the minute you put it in a documentary, you know, the minute, the minute you got pictures and audio, well, hell, we ought to do something about this. So we'll, we'll see what happens with, uh, with the 2,000 meals things because now, now it begs the question, does somebody have the stones to go do the documentary on? And let's be candid, folks. D'Souza got money from somebody to do this, and I'm just going to leave that there. But uh, does somebody out there have the guts and the money to now go go dig into the voting machine thing? Because as I said on Frank's show, if you read the foreign media, there, there's been accusations for years that the United States has been tipping elections that are close in a number of foreign countries. And, and again, because they have coalition governments with multiple political parties versus what we have here in the United States with just two, it's a lot easier to tip the balances of power in foreign countries, because you just got to get one kind of obscure third party to get a few more votes. And now they have a very destabilizing impact on the coalition government in Italy or Greece or wherever it might be. But in the United States, they had to throw the kitchen sink at this thing, which is which is kind of the problem because it revealed, you know, and I made this comment on Frank's show, the, the people I've spoken to, my own research and so on, the comment that's often been made to me is, is this, this wasn't put in place just for the 2020 election. There's no way. It's, it's, you know, the one guy I spoke to who I trust and was involved in, in the uh, forensics examinations there in Arizona, 20 years. This, this all has been in place for 20 years. They've been doing this for 20 years at, at the federal and state level. Yeah. The problem, least. the problem is, is the numbers were so in the Donald's favor. And again, I'm neither endorsing nor not endorsing. I'm just saying that's how the election was going to tip that election back in 2020. They had to throw everything at this. And the real fear out there from, from it forensics people I've spoken to and others is that folks are going to start putting two and two together and realizing how far down the rabbit hole goes. There's There's been some revelations just in the past two weeks. I'm not going to get into it today, but there's been some revelations just the past two weeks about who's connected to the the voting machine stuff. Yeah. Because one, one of the ones that came out just last night, I was reading, it's it's very early, folks. You know, take it with a grain of salt, go do your own research. Now, now there appears to be connections between Jared Kushner and the daughter of the guy who runs the voting machine company that has most of the voting machines that were used during the election. So it's, it's like, God, man, how, who, who the hell all is? It's like my, my famous quote from Miami vice. Uh, this is Miami, man. And you don't know the players without a program down here. So, right. um, PayPal in the news, just a reminder. Uh, and as I keep pontificating about this comment, um, we really got to watch our butts here, people, as we get closer to those midterms. Uh, shit's going to get crazy. And so PayPal, uh, it's not just Ryan Dawson. There's a couple other folks out there have been talking about the fact that PayPal has just been dropping. They've been dropping alternative providers all over the place. So, And my personal favorite, they've started seizing the accounts of independent media outlets. I posted this on Sunday. Yeah, they're just freezing right. it random. Right. So it goes to, uh, hallowed be her name, the amazing Polly. Um, you know, she got hammered bad with this. 
during the night of the long knives back in the fall of 2019 were a number of independent and alternative providers. And yeah, let's be candid. Some of those alternative providers were even by my standards, a little wacky, right. but you do you, um, you know, <laughs> uh, Alex Jones, like a stopped clock is correct at least twice a day. So anyway, um, I got, Two items here, folks, and I'm going to try. I, this always gets a little sketchy when I do this. I'm going to try and share my screen, so I hope this works correctly. Um, I'm going to start, I, we'll call it a new segment. I, you know, And I know I haven't had victories in a while. I apologize for that. I'm, I'm trying to get back on that. And uh, I do do the memory hole about once a month or so at this point, and, and I continue to add some new, new content to it. Um, I'm going to start a new segment, folks, where I'm going to... Um, kind of lead us to water a bit and i'm gonna start showing you some websites and things that are off the beaten track that you might find helpful so one of the things i'm gonna start with so let me share my screen here i gotta talk to you offline sometimes cj because um it's either all of my screen or just <laughs> uh i can't get like the specific things I want to show. Hang on a tick. Allow. Okay, can you see me? I'll assume you can see me. So where's the here we go. This is the dirt. There it is. Okay, sir. Okay. This is the dirt website, folks. And uh I posted this. And this is one of Velis's many little tools that I use and and uh I was cleaning out, as I shared with all of you on Discord recently, I was cleaning out some of my older websites that were no and kind of readjusting my my folder structures and stuff. And told all of you a couple of days ago that I was shocked to find out that I actually had Tor or Tori, uh, that gal from the photo with Millie Weaver and her husband and, and Giuliani that I showed last week. Uh, I actually did have her website among my various archives. So this this website, what this does is is this just basically shows high profile people and where their their homes are and places they've sold or ones they've purchased or whatever it might be. Um, so this is the www.dirt.com website. What you might find interesting, though, is, is one of the things you can do here is, case in point, let's put in Bill Gates' name. And looky there. We've got all of Bill's various properties. Get out of there. Which is kind of interesting. And there's one for you. If you remember my comments about Steve Jobs and the Atlantic Magazine and Lauren Powell, who now runs the Atlantic Magazine and was also a friend of Gisling Maxwell's because I showed you a photo of the two of them in their swimsuits sitting on a yacht. Um, well, looky there. She just bought a ranch across the street from Bill Gates, and that was years ago, back in 2016. So this is an interesting website. It's worth checking out. The other one I wanted to show you, and I've posted this as well to Discord, uh, this is our friend Patrick Ryan's stuff. So uh, what he's got here is, is that, you know, research like I do, and then he's got tools you can use, researcher training, how to do it, um, how to research, you know, he's got it right here, how to research people, organizations, governments, or corporations, uh, his various philosophies and other data about those topics. Here's his Dark Stoa interviews that he did, which was really good, uh, machine learning, cognition, and similar. But what you're looking for is this right here. 
This is the researcher training and the researcher tools. This is all his stuff. And, and this is where he shows you. Come on, baby, populate. Come on. There we go. This, this is the Magna Carta right here, folks. This is the big one. This is all of his sites off that link I just clicked off that page. And, and again, I've posted this to the Discord uh, channel under the Vellus section. But counterterrorism, here are his sites. World Bank, here are his sites. All the different search engines that are out there. And they, you can see here, he's got subcategorized. What is it? Well, it's investigation. And then what kind of a thing is it? Well, it's a publication. It's a map. It's a searchable database. And then what is the main domain it's under? Well, here's counterterrorism, search engines, et cetera. And as you scroll down, you can see there's a lot of search engines he's got here. Some of these are ones you may not have even seen before. Um, tax havens, uh, import, ep, uh, export topic matter, high value targets, Google, and the list goes on. By the way, just as a guy who works in IT among my many things, this is a pretty slick site he's got here. Um, but this is all his stuff, the arms trade, Banks, arms trade, Bitcoin, travel. So this is all Patrick's sites. This is how he uses these sites to conduct his various research. And then another one of his is this one. Uh, I've also posted this. His, his, uh, this is a mega uh, a website. It's a drop. And you can see here, mega.nz. It's in New Zealand. But here he's got a whole bunch of other how-to videos. Uh, on various topics. So each week, uh, I'm going to continue to show you all this stuff and provide you some some different websites each week of some some different thing. Starbucks 6319. I've posted it to the Vellus page on the Discord channel. So those are just some of the some of the sites that are out there and i'm i'm going to be showing things like that as we as we go further down the road so the first one is the the website by the way that that real estate website dirt.com that i showed you you can actually look up various like executives of corporations uh the other one that's kind of interesting is is you can find the occasional international oligarch regardless of their country of origin and then of course patrick patrick ryan's stuff that that's a weekend and a couple of cups of coffee to, to go through and really understand what he has there, which is why he's got on that one link I, I've provided the how-to. Before you even start getting into those websites and things, he provides you an understanding of how do you go through this and, and how do you do it. So what I, Vellis, will be doing for you going forward is, is, is I've got years of websites that I, I maintain or clean up or reorganize, you know, like it was organized correctly the way I wanted it before, but now things have changed and I, I need to update it again. But I myself have other sites that even Patrick doesn't have, and that's that's fine because we all do our own thing. But, you know, I've got some websites out there and things that you all might fin find interesting. So what I'm going to do each week is I'm going to take a little segment out of the show and I'm just going to show you some of this stuff. We'll see how it goes. And by the grace of the gods of IT, uh, my display works. So that's... I'm, I'm glad that the uh, browser didn't crash on me. So... This next topic I wanted to cover today is the groupthink of senior people in the U.S. government, the military, and Fortune 100 firms. Um, I had this segment, as I often tell you all, I had this segment prepared a while back, but some things popped up, and we had some time now, and I wanted to get to it, because it's one of those kind of Ellis comments I often make about, you know, like the scene from The Matrix, 
Were you paying attention to the agent or were you looking at the girl in the red dress? Um, there's a lot of things going on out there. I've had some conversations with a few of you on Discord on uh, how the heck did we get here? What, what the heck is going on with our leaders? And I use that term loosely. So I know many of you out there probably wondered the last few years what indeed is going on with our government leaders, our military leaders, our major corporations. And I'm not talking about, ironically, I'm not talking about the World Economic Forum or any of the globalist organizations, the Council on Foreign Relations, the World Bank, the list goes on. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about folks you actually see in the news, uh, both known government leaders and people who are kind of more in the background, who, who aren't as much of a marketing statement. And... Net, net, why can we not seem to get anyone out there who can get anything done in corporate America, especially among the Fortune 100 firms, much less government agencies? And for me, in many situations, it comes down to the systems of reward as much as the culture in those institutions. Now, a former chief information officer I worked with who was phenomenal, um, he had good hair. Um, he went to the London School of Economics to get his MBA. And he and I used to used to shoot the gristle after work about various stuff we'd come across professionally and so on. And one of the jingles he used to use, which I liked, was he used to say, you get the behaviors and organizations for which you reward. So make sure you're rewarding the right way and avoid unintended consequences. Now, I'm kind of oversimplifying here, folks, and I'm painting with kind of a broad brush, but just give me a little latitude. In the government case, especially at senior levels, the reward system is essentially to do nothing. Now, I realize that sounds a little negative, so I'll explain. And, and also, by the way, if you ever get the chance, uh, the only place I know you can find it is on Amazon's movies. You can go purchase it on Amazon.com as, as uh, like one of the movies and stuff that you've got in your little account. But I've looked for it on Vudu and I've looked for it on, on Netflix, and so far it's not out there. And it's, it's a movie with a number of famous people, and it was called The Pentagon Wars. It's a comedy with Kelsey Grammer. But if you ever get the chance to watch that, uh, as, as somebody who's been in government contracting with everybody from the Department of Defense to Homeland Security and other federal agencies, there's great truth in that comedic story about one of our military weapon systems and why it took almost 30 years to get the thing built and it still was a failure. Because um, it's based on a true story. When the management consulting firm I used to work for in Washington, D.C., as an example, when we were hiring, because we used predominantly retired C-level executives, CEOs, CFOs, and so on, before we brought somebody in, we used to you know, interview them thoroughly, and I, we would have our other retired C-level executives kind of check them out. And in many cases, these folks would show up out in Washington or, or up in New York and so on with their expensive ties and their haircuts. And the first questions they would have for us is, is like, well, where's my office? Who's my staff? How much budget do I get? And we often had to explain to them that what we were doing was more of a passion. This isn't going to be like the old days in corporate America. You know, you'll be paid well. Uh, you won't be paid, you know, over the top like most of you could be earning, but we don't have that kind of pressure here either. And you get to do very interesting work. This is something to do in retirement, you know, the firm that we were running. But you're not going to appear on the front page of Forbes. One of the comments I used to hear a lot from my retired executives was, is that you got to be careful because too many of these folks have been in the executive suite too long. And they would often reference at dinner, you know, if you've ever read our or these people's compensation agreements, and of course, I'd always raise a hand and say, well, I actually know some lawyers that have written those compensation agreements. Yes, I have read them and holy shit. Um, 
the comment my my retired colleagues used to say is is these people are completely devoid of understanding of the world anymore. They're surrounded by yes people, and it's all about their marketing image. And many of them have actually not really worked in years. They're just a hood ornament. They look good on TV. Now, there are executives out there at senior levels who do work and work very hard, but there's many who also do not. And as we've covered here on Rogue, you now sprinkle in the problem of BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street Advisors, Carlisle breathing down their necks saying, if you don't do what we want, we're going to buy up enough stock to take over the board and we're going to move you out of there. So you will obey. That further adds to our problem. And in federal agencies specifically, and I think I brought this up before, but just kind of a, a, a review. Most people are familiar with government workers that they're paid on what's known as the general services level pay grades or GS everywhere from GS one all the way up to GS 14s. GS 14s, 15s are kind of the higher end of the scale. And within these scales are kind of a, a range of, let's say, at GS whatever, you could start out at $60,000 and that grade maximizes at, at $85,000 a year in pay or whatever it might be. And there's various criteria about how you get to a, a general services level of pay, how you could get promoted, etc. The lesser known part of that world is what's known as SESs or senior executive service. Now, these are the highly prized jobs. These are the senior leaders of most federal agencies, and they're they're paid on a, on what's known as an SES scale. They've they've evolved past the GS scale, and at these senior levels of government agencies, these folks try to accomplish basically one of two things: either retire with their pension, or retire with their pension and move into a government contracting firm where they can make much bigger money. So more often than not, unless there's a real need in government. And that kind of goes back to why my consulting firm existed. We got called in after something had failed three or four times, and now it's in the news, and oh my God, we've actually got to fix this. The rest of the time, it's just government contractor after government contractor with bodies and seats doing, doing work. But nobody in government wants to fix anything. And I, again, I know it sounds like a little, a little negative, but you have to remember that it's like if you start getting stuff done in government, you're just going to attract bad attention to yourself that you don't want to deal with. They don't reward you for breaking new ground or major overhauls. And the other reason is, is the classic groupthink that exists also in the corporate world, which is if you fix a problem in government, that problem was probably there for a long time. And that in and of itself is a problem. Because if you fix the problem, then we got to admit how long the problem existed. Like, let's say why this country has in the United States, in the case of the United States, why we haven't done much, if anything, to harden our power uh, grids and our telecommunications infrastructure from any kind of EMP, not just you know North Korea or somebody detonating something at low altitude over the United States, but but solar flares and similar. Why haven't you know we've talked about this in other shows? Why haven't we hardened the power grid? We know how to do it. We know how much it would cost, but everyone agrees. The minute you start fixing it, the public might get angry. So so they don't want to deal with it. Um, the other thing that I've experienced personally with a lot of, of government work is, is that there's always a, a plethora of stakeholders, and each and every one of them have to be satisfied. And if they're not satisf satisfied, they'll hold up your whole project or just not let it succeed. Because it's the old joke about uh, victory has many fathers, but, but defeat has none. Uh, they all want credit for anything that succeeds, but no one person can take full credit for it kind of thing. The other thing in the ranks of our military, and again, I don't want to speak too broadly about this, but I've had some dealings with a number of senior military leaders, 
and they're kind of in the same boat. Uh, they're just trying to get promoted. Uh, they don't want to do anything crazy or, or, uh, there's, there's an old joke in, in military circles that if you get north of Colonel, you're probably not going to be getting anything accomplished. Um, I mentioned on a prior show, the, the gentleman who's very famous in, in, uh, government and military circles who got the F-16 built. Uh, he had a brass plaque outside his office at the Pentagon that used to say, out here, more of the same, in here, thunder and lightning. Yeah, that was uh, Dr. John, uh, God, what was his name? Boyd. John Boyd. Colonel John right. Boyd. Yeah, Colonel, Colonel John, Boyd. John Boyd. Amazing. That's Amazing the kind guy. of talent America used to have. John Boyd, Pierre Spry, these guys built the F-16, the A-10 Warthog, what amazing, amazing aircraft, amazing engineering, and the, uh, what is it called? They used to call them the uh, the aircraft carrier and the strategic bomber uh, union group uh, were, were the ones who would, uh, who would who would stop these types of developments. You know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous, man. Uh, and Hobo Sermons, by the way, yes, absolutely spot on, my friend. The line for Flight Club about... about... What you call it? Talking about why they don't do recalls on certain cars. Um, that's also very true. But yeah, John Boyd, folks. Uh, Boyd was the guy that he was dying, and it was uh, General uh, Schwarzkopf sent one of his top staff members, and they're like, uh, "Colonel Boyd, God, you're dying, sir. We're, we're, we don't even want to be here." And he just looked at them and said, "What's the problem?" And they're like, "We need a really creative plan to attack Iraq." And he, he, I think the way the story goes, he had like two weeks or so left to live. And he told the nurse to just jack him up on, on caffeine and painkiller and told, told a bunch of people to get him some notepads and stuff. And he literally worked up Schwarzkopf's end run plan that he did uh, that completely caught Iraq off guard. I mean, literally he died drafting that plan, but anybody who knew Boyd, that's the sort of stuff he lived for. And it begs the question, well, how could Boyd be effective at the Pentagon? Because Boyd was a savant. He was a very out-of-the-box thinker. He loved hearing the words, no one will ever get this built, told to him. Because the thing is, 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 and again, I worked closely, folks, with research and development with the Air Force in particular. There's a running rule, and has been ever since World War II. We don't build dedicated planes anymore. You know, the A-10 Warthog, A for attack. That's one of the last pure attack planes we ever built. You look don't at worry, the, F- the F-35 is going to replace it. You know, that's what they wanted to do. And they realize the F-35 is a useless flying piece of turd that has no loitering ability, has no armor, has no gun. The gun barely works. They got to do software updates on it like it's a stupid, uh, you know, uh, tablet or something like that. It's ridiculous. You're right, Right. man. I mean, it's incredible. We don't have any specialized plan. Another guy who's just like John Boyd, Elmo Zumwalt, who was amazing for the Navy. Which which is why they named the the, uh, cruiser after him. Which has to be a joke because that cruiser is a POS and is extreme, extremely expensive. If Zumwalt was alive today, he'd torpedo it. He'd use the cruiser for torpedo practice. It's terrible that it bears his name. So on, yeah, and on this this whole narrative, I'm trying to give you folks. I'm I'm going a little off road here with V, but but just as I always say, give me give me a little latitude. But but it paints the picture I'm trying to provide you because you know, for instance, the Navy uh, F-18. The real designation of the F-18 is F forward slash A, 18, fighter and attack. Most of our other planes out there are fighter and attack. The other thing, too, is most of our planes have two engines, and that's a survivability thing 
which is one of the groups I was involved with. That that was one of their big uh, designations for military fighters in particular, or, or fighter fighter aircraft, fighter and attack aircraft, was got to have two engines, got to have two engines. You look at the F-16 that Boyd built, it, it, it violates every rule there is. It's not big, because for some strange reason, we had this design thing where it's like, well, we got to build bigger planes. He built a smaller plane with a smaller radar silhouette. Yeah, you can pick it up on radar, but it's it's a little harder to pick up. It's got a single engine, a single pilot, unless it's a trainer version. Um, and it's it's a it's a pure dedicated fighter plane. It's an F. It's not an F A eighteen. Now, did Israel figure out a way to make that plane into kind of a bomber? Yes, because Absolutely. it's Israel, and Israel will figure out how to do that. But my point is, Boyd went against convention. And when you read the story about how he got the F-16 done, the Joint Chiefs of Staff literally set up a meeting where they were going to surprise him with the fact that they were shutting down his program. And they were all very proud of themselves because it's like, we've got this upstart. The other thing that made Boyd successful, and let that be a lesson for dynamics and corporate organizations as well, or any organization, there were plenty of people in the Pentagon who wanted to get stuff done. They just didn't know how. And there were many people who were near retirement which meant they were a lot more willing to take risks, but they just didn't know how. Boyd was the how. He always knew how to find the right people. He always knew how to get people to hand him the vanilla envelope on a park bench in Washington, D.C. to help him bypass things. And Boyd had his own intelligence network, so he knew the Joint Chiefs were about to shut down the F-16 program. So he attended a or scheduled a debriefing where these military leaders thought, well, now we got him. He walked right into it. And we're going to announce at this meeting that it's been canceled. He opens the meeting and looks at everyone and says, this is purely informational. The, the Secretary of Defense has already authorized this program. And they just they just sat there with their jaws hanging. They, could, they, they were utterly amazed. How did he get around us? And, of course, typical of bureaucracies, what did the Pentagon do as soon as Boyd got the F-16 done? They make they sure actually, that nobody else can exactly. do Exactly. They started going through all of the procedures for building aircraft and for uh, programs to be approved and added more layers of bureaucracy. So but the funny was, thing was, quick comment before you, yeah, before, before you jump there, V. I, I worked with some very creative people in government contracting, and I had some folks tell me, and they said, you know, the funny thing is, and this, this goes to, to my comments, folks, about people who can break the system, the Roger Bannister four-minute mile, you know, can... Uh, what if, can you find a way to break the cycle? The folks I used to work with used to say, uh, we wish Boyd well on his journey into the next life and, and wherever that may take him. But they would always look at me and smile in Washington and say, you know, the funny thing is, though, there's there's dozens of more Boyds out there. Yeah. And those fools don't understand that it's like Boyd now gave everybody the Roger Bannister four-minute mile. It can be done. So now there's still other people out there right. who can find ways to bypass bureaucracy and so on. Go ahead, B. Uh, yeah. Uh, what I was saying is the, the main reason why they dropped him. It, it, it benefits the military-industrial complex to have a bloated bureaucracy that creates ineffective weapon systems and promotes mediocrity because it, the military-industrial complex is augmented into the greater quote-unquote fire economy where everything is financialized. Absolutely. So, as I and I've got a real-world example, folks, I want to share with you on this topic. Um, 
I remember sitting at one of those conferences I often talk about, and I looked at a colleague of mine who, who I trusted implicitly, and I said, beyond finding people like Boyd, what do you think the solution is? And my friend looked at me and he said, the United States, <laughs> you're going to love this. He goes, the United States needs a better class of enemy. He said, because if we don't find a better enemy, we're going to make the ancient Chinese bureaucracy look tame by comparison. And he said, where I'm going with this, fellas, is, is he said, when the Soviet Union was at least perceived, whether real or not, as a major strategic and tactical threat to us, we were always on our toes. Mm -hmm. He said, same as uh, Athens and Sparta, same as certain Chinese city-states who were at it for years until China unified, same as it was with the Medici family versus other powerful families in Italy before the Italian city-states united, same thing with Germany before Germany united. And he said, you got to have an enemy who's at your level, Rome and Carthage, to keep you on your toes. Because human nature being human nature, people are going to get complacent. And now that V has joined us all out here in the Midwest, there's a number of really great companies that started out in Pennsylvania, Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio, Michigan. But unfortunately, I love this area, dot, 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 however, we're not on the West Coast. We're not California. We're not New York. And V, you've said it many times. One of the reasons why everybody is just running so hard in New York is because you have to. You have There's to. always somebody after your ass somewhere. Somewhere. And it keeps you on your toes. You know, yep. Andy, Andy Grove, folks, is batshit crazy. However, Andy Grove's comment about only the paranoid survive. Well, we had some very successful companies here in the Midwest, and we got complacent, and we took our eye off the ball. And many yep. of these companies have gone under. They've been, they've been bought. Now, are we recycling? Yes. Are we building new businesses out here? Yes. Are these showing a lot of a lot of potential? Yes. But we took our eye off the ball. And it goes to Andre Martinov's book about uh, U.S. strategic planning and so on and, and how we just we got lazy. Yeah. So for me, it's we've got massive levels of groupthink in industry and in government. And I've seen it myself. Now, I'm going to paint you a picture about a, a very specific example. Um, I was with MCI WorldCom back in the late 90s and into the early 2000s. Uh, the, 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 the good old MCI WorldCom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when it was still MCI and a good company before Bernie ever showed up. <laughs> so just to give you a little backstory here, in early 2001, the United States had several brewing financial scandals of major firms like Arthur Anderson, Enron, WorldCom. Uh, AIG Insurance, Adelphia Communications, as well as MCI WorldCom. And in early and mid-2001, and I, I gave this example on a prior show, especially post-year 2000, several U.S. corporations were laying off huge numbers of people. And I made a comment where I said, you know, by fall of 2001, right before the 9-11 attacks, IT personnel layoffs alone nationally was around 3.5 million people. And traffic in Los Angeles had actually improved by 20 or 25% because there were that many less people driving to work. Now, in late February of 2001, MCI WorldCom laid off about 10,000 plus, 10, 10, 15,000. It was a little hard to get the actual numbers because people were getting real vague about, well, who are you counting as part of these layoffs? If you included the contractors and the other partners that, that MCI WorldCom had, the real number was probably closer to 30 to 40,000 people, which is massive. Now, transparency, one of those folks was me, and I learned a lot through that process. 
Now, I'm, I'm noting this detail to set the tone for, for what I'm not going to talk about. In later 2001, the CEO of MCI WorldCom, Bernie Evers, was trying to contain the growing financial scandal at the firm. And he used to hold these prayer breakfasts at the, at the corporate headquarters periodically in Jackson, Mississippi. Sometimes you'll see the headquarters was in Clinton, but the two areas are very close to each other. And dealing with the press was one thing for him about, well, hey, what's going on with the company's books? And we've noticed all these other companies are having problems. What the heck's going on inside corporate America, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But he was reaching a near insurrection with his own executives asking him what the hell's going on. So he scheduled this prayer breakfast and everyone who was anyone in that company attended. And I think I've told you all about this before, but he held up printed copies of the financial information of the, of the firm in front of everybody sitting at this breakfast. And he told the audience, well, the company's future is truly in Jesus's hands because he and the other executives just can't discover what's wrong with the financials. Now, one of the VPs that was in that room was someone to whom I reported, and they raced off to the, to the restroom after the, the breakfast had ended. And they were splashing some water on their face because they're like, oh, my God, <laughs> after that whole thing. And several other executives walked into the bathroom. And they looked at their colleagues and said, my God, what are we going to do? And the other leaders of the firm just kind of blankly stared at my boss and said, well, Bernie's right. We just have to trust God and hope this works out. And this, this executive of mine later said to a number of us when, when they came back, I had left the firm, but I, I met them for, for a, a get-together after work one day. And their comment was, as they said, my God, I've truly been in the bunker with the Fuhrer. No one can believe it's over. Because these, these are all senior-ranking executives, and the last thing they want to do is be connected to a major corporate scandal, which is exactly what happened. Now, the other data point on this is the following. There were several women who were profiled in business magazines after this happened. I know for a fact one of these uh, women was from Anderson. There was another woman from MCI WorldCom. I forget who the third lady was. And they were commended in the business media uh, CNBC, uh, CNN still had a business channel back then. And I remember seeing these interviews where they're just, you know, doing the golf clap and saying, you know, you women did a great job. You showed bravery and not getting beaten down or bullied by these organizations because each and one of every one of these women were profiled in magazines later that they were the ones who didn't go along with the fraud. And they started conducting their own investigations quietly and secretly inside these firms. And because of their work, federal investigators were able to get to the bottom more effectively because of the work of these women. Now, what happened was several years later, uh, well, and during, during that period of time, I was also stunned by the fact that these women were very candid about the fact that, that they had very real fears about getting killed, which, you know, you can talk about the worst scandal on the planet and the media loves it because their advertisers love it. You'd start talking about people getting killed and they want to go to commercial. But, you know, several of these women said, you know, given the sums of money we're talking about, the careers of the executives involved, and let's be candid, powerful people that are involved behind the scenes, because as I'm often fond of saying, you've got some private equity people that don't want to hear the words they're losing money. Now, many years later, there were some follow-up articles with these same uh, women about their experiences during those years. And they, they had all obviously resigned from their positions because in most cases, the companies no longer existed. 
And they started traveling around the country uh, as consultants providing advice, and they would go to boards of directors or accounting firms or senior executives, you know, sales conferences and stuff about doing the right thing, et cetera, and provide very specific examples of what they felt were the steps you need to take to make sure that this wouldn't, this wouldn't happen again. Now, in this follow-up piece many years later, 2005, 2006, all three of these women said, we got paid a lot of money to tell people what they wanted to hear. But the reality is very little, if anything, changed in the boardrooms or the accounting firms. And, you know, the one, the one lady said, they've learned nothing because they refuse to believe this could ever happen to them. They're, they're not going to let it happen to them. It can't possibly happen to them. So moving on to a different topic. V and I have shared with all of you a couple of times the author, Neil Stevenson, and he's written a number of books, one of which was called Snow Crash. Oh, I yeah. recommend you all go take a look at that, the write-up on Wikipedia about what that book was about. Neil Stevenson is one of those people. It's that your I kid's thought, future, folks. It's your kid's future. <laughs> Uncle, en Uncle Enzo's <laughs> Uncle Enzo's delivery. delivery. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Stevenson, folks, he's, he's like operating at a level of brain utilization even above patrick ryan and some other folks out there i mean stevenson is is the savant of the of the functioning savants his books the way he interprets how things might go in the future and he, in some of his books he sprinkles in quite a bit of humor but velas yeah I'm go ahead sorry to to uh, disturb you at this point but could i just read a quick excerpt please do just a quick so i could just tell the audiences to go buy the damn book and read it <clears throat> all right here we go the deliverator belongs to an elite order, a hollowed subcategory. He's got the esprit up to here. Right now, he's preparing to carry out his third mission of the night. His uniform is black as activated charcoal, filtering the very light out of the air. A bullet will bounce off its arcan arcano fiber, weave like a wren hitting a patio door. But excess perspiration wafts through it like a breeze through freshly napalmed forest. Where his body has bony extremites, the suit has sintered armor gel. Feels like the gritty jello. Protects like a stack of telephone books. And when they gave him the job, they gave him a gun. The deliverator de never deals in cash. But someone might come after him anyway. Might want his car or his cargo. The gun is tiny, ACM style, lightweight. The kind of gun a fashion designer would carry. It fires teensy darts that fly at a five times the velocity of an SR-71 spy plane. And when you get it done using it, you have to plug it into the cigarette lighter because it runs on electricity. The deliverator never pulled that gun in anger or in fear. He pulled it once in Gila Highlands, some punks in Gila Highlands, a fancy burb clave, wanted themselves a delivery, and they didn't want to pay for it. Thought they would impress the deliverator with a baseball bat. The deliverator took out his gun, centered its laser doohickey on that poised Louisville slugger, fired it, and the recoil was immense, as though the weapon had blown up in his hand. The middle third of the baseball bat turned into a column of burning sawdust, accelerating in all directions like a bursting star. Punk ended up holding his bat handle with a milky smoke pouring out of the end. Stupid look on his face didn't get nothing but trouble from the deliverator. Since then, the deliverator has kept the gun in the glove box, and he relied on it instead on a matched set of samurai swords, which they've always been his weapon of choice anyhow. The punks in the Gila Highlands weren't afraid of the gun, so the deliverator was forced to use it. But swords? 
need no demonstration. And who is the deliverator? He's a delivery boy for a pizza company. <laughs> now, that was awesome, V. Thank you. And the the first of all, Stevenson's writing is phenomenal. Uh, when I read Snow Crash back in the 90s, this was another one of those occasions. There's been maybe two or three books in my life where I started reading a book and called in sick the next day. And Typical of me, people at work would say, well, hey, did you call in sick because you were out partying late last night? And I'm like, no, I, I started getting into a book and I just, it's like, God, man, what is it with you? A um, couple of things about what V just read. Um, that whole book articulates a future that when I read it, I thought at the time, well, I could maybe see some of the, V made a reference to a word called burb claves. Now, I'm joking, but I'm serious. Um, I feel like General General Zhukov from, from Death of Stalin. Yeah. I'm smiling, but I'm seriously pissed off. Um, <laughs> in the book, it talks about how the United States, now, this is the mid-90s, folks, it starts talking about how at a future time, the United States will become a fractured series of yep. like balkanized entities. Yep. Now, let me go full Dr. Evil and put my pinky finger on my lips and say, now, where the hell else have you all heard that said before? Well, right here on Rogue News by V, by me, by CJ, by Gus, the list goes on. And that's what the book is about. Certain suburbs or claves, as they called them, were better than others. There was like armed protection for certain neighborhoods others not so much and that's why this pizza delivery guy who works for a legitimate mafia family because yeah. they've gone legit <laughs> that when he's delivering your pizza because they also deliver other stuff like he has to be armed depending on what neighborhood he's going into now that was hypothetical that was kind of odd um oh what is neil stevenson's type of writing called it's uh Oh God! It's like the guy. It's like the uh, the guy who wrote the stuff about fear and loathing in Las Vegas. It's kind of a similar word that they use for Stevenson's it's, it's uh, cyberpunk. No, yeah, cyberpunk, yes. cyberpunk, yes. cyberpunk. Stevenson. I and I mentioned this also. I was at a classified defense conference <clears throat> where one of the speakers, a very a, a very young, brilliant guy, stepped up in front of some very frightening people in that room and said, "Before we get into asynchronous warfare." which is basically I spend $100 and I cause you $100,000 worth of damage. You know, mm -hmm. it's not I'm tank for tank kind of thing. It's how do you use warfare in a more effective way. And he looks at the audience talking about asynchronous warfare, tactics, planning, future, and so on. He looks at the audience. He says, um, how many of you here have ever read Neil Stevenson? Because he said, I have to start here. And it's a room of two, 300 people, and it's me and another person raise our hands and he looks over the room and he goes we're doomed and all these military people are all pissed off in the set and the other and i and i i meet him later at a, at a meet and greet and these these military planners and of course what's the old joke about military science you're you're always planning the next war based on what you last knew about the last war which is not how it's going to turn out that's kind of stevenson you know, where military planners are preparing for conflict based on the last trench war they knew in world war one World War II begins in a very different way. Stevenson looks at society, looks at technology, and just rips your brain out, saying, but what if this is how it, how it happened? One of his other books he wrote, which is called In the Diamond Age, focuses mm -hmm. on, drumroll, it focuses on 
the use of nanites and the same thing he did in Snow Crash about people spending half their time in synthetic reality. Yeah. Now, the reason why I'm raising this is meta. Now, meta right now is very messed up, very dysfunctional. It's bad. <laughs> let, me, let me boil it down. Let me just use very simple language we used to use in meetings when the executives left, and I'd look at the software people, and they'd look at me and go, this is really bad. we got to start over. I, I mean, Vel, it is pretty bad meta. I mean, there's one time CJ and I uh, went on meta to see what it was all about. We were immediately gang-raped. Yes, and, and that has been said by many uh, women or people of you know alternative lifestyle choices that that they feel like they're being assaulted um, but 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 you know full disclosure we were uh using female avatars well there there's your problem <laughs> to quote bill ingvall there's your problem but the point i'm making folks is it's it's like when the first car came out you know and the old joke about henry ford saying you can have any color you want as long as it's black um they're gonna work the bugs out they have to because this is where they want things to go. They want this synthetic reality. And especially now, and I don't want to go too far afield by suggesting that the events of COOF and the reactions of our governments and the World Economic Forum and the whole panoply of, of players out there, that this was all some sort of plan. But as I'm in the job market right now, as I often do every couple of years, and I shared this with all of you on a prior show, it's the weirdest weirdness I've ever seen in the job market right now. You know, I live out here in the Midwest. Normally I look at certain jobs and I'm, I'm usually virtual or, or on the road. I mean, I accept that as part of what I do. That's why I don't want to move to a major city. Um, I have hundreds of openings. I'm so overwhelmed. My brain can't take it because I've got companies everywhere from Iowa to Northern California to Texas saying, just stay where you are. We need what's in your brain. Like, okay, periodically, we may need you to drive or fly to the headquarters. We'll do a meeting once or twice a year, depending on if you're marketing or sales or what your role is. But we're going all virtual. And so what happens if they take that to its next logical step? What happens if, like, we get Peter Thiel's dream of what he was wanting to see Facebook become? What happens if you have an online community where now... Now we're doing business with everyone everywhere on this planet all at the same time. Yeah. It'll be messy. It'll be gnarly. But you can see this is where they want things to go. Plus, <laughs> the opportunities for control are unbelievable. So this is why I'm bringing up this thing about Snow Crash. This is why I'm suggesting all of you uh, go read the Wikipedia write-up because it's actually quite thorough. Um, and look a little bit into Neil Stevenson's work. He's, he, he wrote a book called Anathem that I almost needed medical care after I got done doing that because, <laughs> because the whole premise of the book is he's talking about, about you think he's talking about earth and a society that is radically different than the one we know. And then you realize later the alien visitations these people are experiencing is us. It's, it's people from earth are visiting them, but like they live in a society where um, technology are like religious hermits. They, right. they literally just sit up in the mountains and they come up with new tech. Religious, religion is out in the open. Government's out in the open. Society's out in the open. But like they have these schools that produce highly advanced technology every 5, 10, 15 years or so based on when they think society's ready for it. It's a, it's a radically different world than the one we know. But that's what Stevenson does. 
he completely reorients your view of, of what is reality to get you thinking differently. It doesn't mean he's right. But man, I got to tell you, I mean, people have laughed about snow. I'm not laughing about snow crash anymore. It's like, no. Jesus, this man, Neil Stevenson is officially from the future. There, there, is no, is. there is no doubt. So moving to a different topic, uh, and I'll, I'll try and keep this as, as undisturbing as possible. Uh, this next topic is the pedophile roundup. Mm. Um, mentioned on a prior show, there's a, there's a group on Twitter called An, An Open Secret. Uh, and they are affiliated with a documentary by the same name. Took quite a while to get that documentary produced. It was about uh, Hollywood's trafficking of children and similar. Um, the other thing that was going along at that time, some of you might recall, because the uh, child actor from the 1980s, Corey Haim, he was trying to produce his own documentary. He, he was profiled, profiled in that one. Um, there was a lot that went on in the 80s with these young actors, including uh, the death of Joaquin Phoenix's uh, younger or older brother. River, um, right. that, yeah, River. That was a consequence of, of what happened and was profiled. And again, speaking of documentaries. Um, so the folks who produced that film, they've got a page on uh, Twitter where they profile various stories about, about this topic. Now, I've met again, I, I mentioned earlier the whole thing about Steve Jobs' widow. You know, she's heading up the Atlantic. I mentioned on a prior show, you know, she did this big uh, distraction piece that, well, Jeff Epstein's just kind of blown out of proportion and he's an isolated example. And, and uh, you've seen it many times in certain media organizations. Uh, why is it conservatives have such a hard on for, for pedophiles? You know, it's like, oh, uh, cute, very funny. Uh, the problem's not that bad. Um, after the Epstein thing became public, because the, the documentary in Open Secret came out in 2015, and then it was completely scrubbed and went into the memory hole, and nobody wanted to have it, so you had to go on like some obscure community college's server to go download a copy. It's much easier to find a copy of it now. Um, but folks were shocked, there's no other way to say that, about the revelations about Epstein, yeah. and uh, realized, yes, the problem could, could be that bad. Um, and as we talked on another show, there's, there's coverage out there of people saying, well, these are just age-attracted adults. Uh, you're, you're mislabeling them. This is unfair. Um, if you go to the Open Secret site on Twitter, um, they're very good at dropping a lot of knowledge about stuff that the mainstream media wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole if their lives depended on it. Case in point, Tuesday, May 10th. Uh, they posted an article that 29 individuals had been arrested as part of a child trafficking ring in Phoenix. On May 3rd, they posted a story about Elliot Cutler, who was the runner-up in Maine for the governor's election. Cutler, by the way, lost by 2%. And on May 3rd, they posted an article that, that Cutler's been arrested and they found thousands of child porn videos. Right. I read what those videos were of. I'm not going to say it here. Anyway, my point is, the problem exists. The problem is extensive. We talked a few weeks ago where I mentioned about the school administrator who got uh, nailed in Ohio that, that, uh, by an anti-trafficking group of volunteers out of Indiana. And I made the comment at that time, similar as I've done on today's show, that sometimes, whether it's documentaries or people just doing their own work, once the data is there and it, the data has been produced in the right way, the courts can't ignore it. 
you know, federal agencies have to get involved. Please see my lengthy comment earlier on today's show about, well, now you've embarrassed us. Shit. Now, now we have to do something. Now, now we got to go pull out the black book and go hire the kind of firms Vellis used to work for that actually get shit fixed. So my point is, is that the folks there on Twitter, I don't know that you want to check that content on a regular basis, but you know, they were mentioning the thing about Andy Dick long before uh, this week's revelations about, about that uh, comedian who was busted these last couple of days. Um, I thank the Lord for the work these folks do uh, because they're keeping the topic front and center with, with provable data that's documented uh, as we have an entire media infrastructure out there that just keeps saying, well, it's not as bad as you say it is. And it's like, well, if once a month we're arresting 20 to 50 people for trafficking and hundreds of kids are being returned to families or whatever, which also begs the question, funny, I didn't notice any interviews with any of those kids. I would think that might be something you all want to put on the news, but, but no. Um, came out this week. Don't know that any of you saw this. Kind of a mental exercise on where I'm going to go with this. Um, the Justice Department may evidently be ready to cut a deal with Hunter Biden. Hmm. And a deal means usually a crime took place. Right. So um, all that detail is now in the public domain about the laptop. I said on a prior show, uh, you know, as I often do, our attention is focused on hookers, cocaine, and backroom deals, but not really the more important stuff. That's, that's classic uh, corporate communications and public relations work, folks. You know, I'm terrified this story is going to come out in the news about whatever. Oh, good. Don't worry about it. We'll just, we'll just run the story that you got caught with some hookers and people will forget completely about the more horrendous shit that happened. Please see the Bill and Melinda Gates uh, divorce. Um, they'll always admit the stuff the public believes, everybody, to distract from the worst things. So let's look at Epstein and there's young girls and, and uh, he fooled wealthy people like poor Mr. Gates. But, but no coverage of what you hear on here here at Rogue or Frank's show, or quite frankly, or many of the other folks out there, Mike Moore, the list goes on, Polly, obviously, about all these medical organizations that are involved, research into genomics, the U.S. government's involvement with Gates and Epstein, and the list goes on. Um, then the other, the other thing, we have Ghislaine Maxwell evidently has been convicted of a crime involving multiple other parties who don't exist. Because she trafficked children to no one, evidently, because we're not rounding up the clients. And then my other personal favorite, and this is in the public domain, so this is why I'm bringing it up. Hunter's laptop data includes regular drug transportation routes through the United States and how much of that money is going to he and Joe Biden. But we, we're going to show you a photo of him doing coke off a of hooker's butt in the Ukraine. That's what we're going to cover. Yeah. And then, as I've mentioned before, Ryan Dawson, God love him. Uh, I've got his poster here in my office about the Biden crime syndicate, as he calls it. And he's got members of the Biden family you've probably never even heard of. And he's identified who is this person? What are they involved with? How long did it go on? Because Dawson's, again, say it with me, he's using public domain information. But it's like, how many people want to go dig into this? So why am I going here? Some of you may get a little upset with me. If they wanted to impeach Donald Trump for real, not just find him guilty, like because, again, it's a legal thing. You can impeach somebody. They're still in office. Um, if they wanted to really impeach Donald Trump and drive him out of office, they could have done it, in my opinion. And one of the main reasons for that is Donald's son's involvement with the state of Israel and a whole bunch of other stuff. If they really wanted to go there, 
They could have done it. I mean, for that matter, why even bother make you know picking on Donald? We could go back to anyone in the Bush family, uh, Elder Bush or W. Bush, uh, or Jeb for that matter, or Bill Clinton, and just we'll start with me in Arkansas and work our way up. But nothing. So now we've got another U.S. president who's got a problem with one of his kids, which I think is kind of funny because that sounds like a pattern. So it begs the question, the Justice Department wants to cut a deal with Hunter Biden to make this go away. And the question I want an answer to is, if the Republicans really want to win even bigger this fall, I don't mean just win, but I mean push the Democratic Party back to what it was back under Ronald Reagan. I would think you want to go after Joe and Hunter. Maybe have some hearings? Something? Mm. Plus, what's the fear? Joe was in office for so long, everybody on the Republican side did business with him? No. Something bigger is going on here. Yes. The entire Republican Party and all of its factions, everybody from, well, let's just call them the rhinos, to God, please keep him safe. Um, uh, oh, from Kentucky. Help me, V. Um, oh, uh, Rand, Rand Paul. Paul. Rand Paul. Yeah, the, the, Rand, the, the, uh, the Paul family, his dad and him. Um, you know, every flavor of Republican there is, there is out there. Uh, they're all, all of them, from the rhinos to the Pauls, they're all just sitting there taking no action. Now, that screams somebody in the party leadership has told them to stand down. Now, again, do your own research. Go listen to some of Mo Brooks from Alabama's comments on Rumble, uh, the famous luncheon where he was explaining to his constituents, here's how much it costs to get on a certain committee, and it's several millions of dollars. And if the Democrats are the predominant party in the House or the Senate and you want to be the chairperson of that committee, here's how much, as a Democrat, you have to pay the Democrat leadership. If you're a Republican, here's how much you have to pay our leadership. And if you want to be the deputy in that program, here it's like literally they have a pricing list of how much it costs to get on these committees or to be the chairperson of that committee or the deputy chairperson of that committee. So the question is why and who? We're experiencing also in parallel with this increasing levels of publicity about known malfeasance. Jeff Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell, the Biden family, the Bush family, the Clintons, the list goes on. The public now has more awareness, and I've said this several times on, on my shows on Rogue, the public now knows way, I mean, my God, if we knew in the 1970s or even the mid-1980s what we know right now, I don't know that this country would look the way it looks at this moment if we knew back then what we know now. The public now has a level of awareness that is light years beyond any point in this country's history. And if you read certain books, if you listen to us here at Rogue, if you listen to certain other people in the alternative community, you know even more than that. Yet nothing. It's all out in the open. No prosecutions. Both sides in the media don't cover it. And somewhere, someone is just letting this go on. And I, I wanted to raise that today because I thought this something, it's like, wow. So we're going to cut a deal with Hunter. I, you know, I, I'm not even, you don't have to use the word worried. I don't care that the Justice Department has proven itself once again to be exactly what I've come to expect of them. I don't care that the FBI is just once again, I have to embarrass the living shit out of that agency until they go do something. Now, as mm. I've often said, disclaimer. I've got people I know who work for the FBI. I've had dealings with the FBI. I'm a member of the FBI's InfraGuard organization. And there's a lot of good people in that agency still doing good work. But as often as the problem, and as I led with the show, as far as the leadership is concerned, we've got a major problem. 
And again, this is such an obvious opportunity to completely, one political party or the other in the United States, you could completely bury the Democrats. I'm not saying I want that. In fact, we need a balances of power. I'm a very big fan of that. But they're doing nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, there has to be a reason, because everybody in Washington is a self-interested actor, including the political parties themselves. And the Republicans are doing nothing. And there's a whole host of things that could be happening. There could be backroom deals. There could be, you know, okay, we'll let you guys win these various uh, state and local elections if you agree to let us get away with the following or what have you. I don't know. But it just reeks to high heaven. Speaking of reeks to high heaven, um, lockup authority uh, in the Obama administration, you may find this amusing. I I posted this out on on Discord. I posted on Saturday, April 30th. Uh, Anybody catch that the CDC shifted their rules of authority right before Obama left office? CDC never had the authority to be able to dictate to the public. Now, legally, and there's a certain somebody out in the audience who I know is is glaring at the screen right now. Um, Legally, they still can't. But the authority to even dictate to the public, "We we need you to stay in your homes for a contagious disease outbreak or whatever, that that authority changed mm-hmm. right before Obama left office and right before Donald Trump came into office. And of course, what occurred during his presidency, the pandemic itself. So also note my prior comments, everybody about Mike Moore's recent revelations about how far down that rabbit hole uh, went as well. Final topic, fiction as truth. Um, I mentioned this on another show that sometimes the only way to tell the truth is through fiction. There's a video game out there called Call of Duty. Uh, there's a, a version of that game called the the uh, Black Ops or Black Operations version. Yeah. There's a couple of interesting takeaways about this I wanted to share as we wrap up uh, my portion of the show here. Um, you have several what are called campaigns from different periods during the Cold War that you can take part in. Right. Um, the first thing about this is when this game was released in 2010, a key part of the marketing of the game was a clip of a KGB defector named Yuri Bezmenov. And Bezmenov is well known in a number of circles. You've all seen the video. He's kind of a balding guy who's sitting there talking to the interviewer from 1984. It was a real interview from 1984. Where he starts talking about Soviet techniques for how they could cause dissension in targeted countries. And there are many elements of that approach you could argue have already occurred in the United States the last three years. Now, I'll post it on Discord later, but they include phase one, demoralization of a society. Phase two is destabilization third phase is a crisis, and the final fourth stage is normalization of the newly broken down political system. You just kind of accept it for the way it is. When that video game came out and that clip was being used, for some strange reason, the media lapdogs out there lost their minds, which is funny because there's a lot of things they could lose their minds over. So the fact we were getting that kind of a reaction meant that something about that interview with Bezmenov really set people off. The second part of the thing I want to share about that video game is there is a controversial piece of the game where you as the player in a campaign assume the identity of a character named Alex Mason. And the character is leading an effort known as Operation 40. Now, the thing is, Operation 40 is actually real. It was Mm. a CIA mission from the 1950s until 1970 made up of Cuban exiles managing anti-Castro operations. Some of these folks were involved in Nixon's administration during the Watergate break-in. In the game, it is the character Alex Mason who, during a certain flashback kind of thing, 
is shown to kill John F. Kennedy mm. and that Lee Harvey Oswald was just a patsy. Now, I'm not concerned about Alex Mason. That's not code for something, not to my knowledge. Um, nor even his killing of Kennedy necessarily in the game is what caught my attention. What caught my attention was this video game goes into a rather interesting backstory about how the character of Alex Mason is one of several people in the game that are actually unaware that they are MK Ultra resources who can be leveraged to kill high-profile officials without the assassin realizing who they are. Huh. So again, truth, truth is fiction. Um, Song of Resistance, I already posted it to uh, Discord, is the uh, Polish Solidarity Movement song from the 1980s. That's, that's already out there. So that's what I had for today. I know uh, originally I said on Discord we, we weren't going to have a show today. We, we, we did have a show, so thanks, thanks for everybody uh, popping in. V and CJ, any thoughts and comments from, from you guys? No, I got the trailer lined up for uh, Black Ops Cold War. I actually have this game for my Xbox. I, gotta, I, I played through the first two or three campaigns. It's pretty badass. Yeah, let's play real quick. Here's Bessemal. Yep. Understand what's going on around you. You are in a state of war, and you have precious little time to save yourself. which we call active measures the first stage being demoralization it takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation the next stage is destabilization what matters is essentials economy foreign relations defense systems the next stage is crisis with a violent change of power structure and economy period of normalization this is what will happen in the united states if you allow all the schmucks to put a big brother government schmucks. in washington dc we will promise lots of things never mind whether the promises are fulfilled or not Time bomb is ticking. With every second, the disaster is coming closer and closer. The danger is real. And as a student of history, folks, what's interesting about the clip V just showed is, is that many people in the gaming game playing community when they first saw the the ads for this game when it was forthcoming and even after it came out they were like wow that's some really great work they did on that promo for the game yeah. and it's like you don't understand what you just saw is real they didn't do that for the game that was an actual interview in 1984 with a with yep. a high ranking soviet defector every word he just said was the plan which since uh, March of 2020, we've unfortunately been living. Yeah, he did defect uh, Starbucks. He did defect to the United States, although I think he went through. No, no, if I recall correctly, he, God, how did he do this? He, uh, he went left, through Italy. He, 
Yeah, he was going. He was watching a movie in India because he was based in India, and he was going to go watch a movie with colleagues. And then he ducked out. Put he was very good at disguises. He put on like a hippie disguise, and then he got through uh, Italy, and then from Italy got got to the United States. Yeah. Um, one other quick comment here, V and CJ, because it, it's hot off the presses. A number of folks out there are chatting right now extensively about this thing about Musk and Twitter where he's putting the deal on hold or reconsidering it or whatever. This is an earth-shattering psychological op before your eyes. And in my opinion, many people are missing it. Let me explain. Mm. If you're going to buy a company, and I've been on a number of merger acquisition committees where I have a little piece of a chunk of assessing who we might buy or we did buy and make sure that they followed through. If you're assessing a firm, one of the things you do outside of a risk assessment and everything else is you want to understand, okay, no harm, no foul, because we all kind of pull the truth a little bit when it comes to talking to the markets and our books and our, our annual filings. Are your revenue figures actually true? Because as you might imagine, if you're way off the mark, well, well the SEC or somebody else is going to show up and say, hi, we just realized, again, it's like the thing about the documentaries. Thanks to this company trying to buy you because we don't want to get off our ass and do anything over here in the government. But now that they've investigated your books, it, lo and behold, it looks like we've got some fraud here. We have a lovely cell for you where Bernie Evers used to be in jail until he passed away a few years ago. Why don't, why don't you go take a seat there? What Musk is doing is unbelievably amazing because what he's done is he's called into question because it's a information technology offering. We call it social media, but it's an IT company. It's a Silicon Valley kind of business. Right. And what is part and parcel of their bread and butter out there in Northern California? It's user base. Why did Facebook start becoming no longer the darling of the investment community? Because their user base was aging. People were moving over to other platforms. may not sound like a big deal to many of us here. You can still make money running Facebook if it actually had a substantive product. But the point is, it's all about user base. Now, Musk isn't questioning the user base numbers per se. He's questioning, are they what? Are they bots? Which we've been talking about here on Rogue for months. It, what did I say a couple of weeks ago? Is Twitter, among other potential people who are using it, is Twitter being used by Saudi intelligence to influence the United States and Saudi society? Are other intelligence agencies using Twitter as a weaponization of social media? Now, let's be candid. <laughs> Weaponizing social media? Hell, that's what social media was for. But we're not going to tell the public that. But my point is, this is unbelievably, this is, God, this is real three-dimensional warfare here that, that Musk is doing. Because he's now created an unbelievable crucible for multiple parties. The markets are reporting it as, ooh, maybe he doesn't have the credit. Ooh, maybe he can't get the money. Ooh, maybe the rumors are true and Musk is going bankrupt. I don't care about any of that. What I care about is read carefully what he's talking about. Right now, he's saying it looks like 5%, but it could be more of the subscriber base isn't real. Now, in Silicon Valley speak, then you're lying about something, as strange as this sounds, more important than the financials. You're lying about how much of a body of consumers or your customer base is using the product. But Musk has a much deeper, more important subtlety. 
He's saying 5% or maybe more because what's going to happen? Well, now folks are going to start digging into, well, how many users on Twitter really are actual people versus bots? And then we may have Dinesh D'Souza get another chunk of money from God knows who to go do a documentary on. And how many of those bots might actually be foreign intelligence agencies? Because I'm telling you right now, Silicon Valley will take a giant dump right on the table if that were to happen. Because then they're all going to start getting investigated. This is an unbelievable, clever form of warfare that Musk is using. Now, do I think it's Elon Musk? I think he's being advised. I'm not saying he doesn't have the chops to do it. I'm just saying this is this is. No, he's definitely being advised. This is a very strategic move. It's going to literally cause a whole bunch of agencies that have to come together and put their cards on the tra- table, which is something that many, many people are terrified of right now, man. Dude, well, Silicon Valley is on notice. Star- Starbucks 6319 to your question about could this be why Elon tweeted out if he dies, etc. Uh, yeah, you're damn straight because, mm. because, again, people at this level always are thinking 10 years ahead. They're always thinking 10 steps ahead because everyone they're going, uh, going up against does the same thing. So to your question, yeah. That was a preemptive strike. Musk comes out and says, geez, I hope nothing happens to me. And then a couple of days later, drops this. Again, the markets are running this to pull into question whether or not his finances are solid, whether or not he's finally lost his shit from hanging out with you know crazy uh, actresses in Hollywood to practice witchcraft and all this other stuff, all of which is true. But that's not my point. My point is this is an unbelievably precise way of attacking all of Silicon Valley all of the technology community that I know of so well. This is an unbelievably multifaceted ripple in the water. There are intelligence people, I assure you, in Langley, Virginia, who just spit their coffee on their monitors when they saw that because they know what that means. Mm -hmm. Because now somebody's going to start digging into their universe. And perhaps, call me crazy, before we have the public hearings, there might be some of those private debriefings they do with the intelligence committees in the House and the Senate where some people who actually get it are going to start asking questions as they do because it's not you know, broadcast on C-SPAN. Well, is it 5% or is it 10? Is it 15? Is it 20? Yeah. You know, okay, okay. We, you know, it's my age old thing of what will it take to get these people off their ass? Well, we always kind of knew the Saudis, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, what if I told you that 15% of everybody on Twitter is a bot? Most of those bots are intelligence agencies. And uh, 6 to 7% is Saudi Arabia, 5% is Britain, and the rest is a, a panoply of, of characters who I don't even want to mention on this show. But my point is, Watch this carefully. Watch this very carefully. When I saw this this morning, I like had to look at it a couple of times, and I could I could see the ghostly outline of Neil Stevenson looking at me in my office, going, "You need to think carefully about what you just saw, Vellus." And it's like, oh oh oh, oh shit, oh god, yes, <laughs> oh my god, I understand what Musk is doing. Oh god, this is this. Oh man, I'd buy this man a drink tomorrow. That's amazing. Because the other thing about what he's done is. It's very hard to defend. The more you, it's a Chinese finger puzzle, folks. The more you try and defend, no, there's no truth to it. There's no truth to it. The more it's Musk. How many times has somebody made the mistake, like the Saudi government, of saying something? Musk is full of shit. There's no truth to that. In fact, here's another example of something that recently happened that proves my point. The minute the 2000 Mules thing came out, what happened? 
The media Arrest. went to went to action. The media went into action. Yep. He's full of shit. There's no truth to this. Our fact checkers, blah, 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 blah. You fools. Classic military tactics. Sun Tzu, the Chinese tactician, page one. They drew you into a battlefield not of your choosing, you morons. Yeah. Because what happened? D'Souza came back and said, and here is the Encyclopedia Britannica of how every damn thing you all just said about what's wrong with my documentary is false. He drew them out. They stupidly attacked. They should have kept their mouths shut. They stupidly attacked Dinesh D'Souza. And now he's all they've done is open the door to him putting out even more data that wasn't even in the documentary, which means... It was his intention the whole time to cause them to react this way. And it's the same thing with Elon Musk. This, this is a very hard to defend thing he's done because if they try to argue he's wrong too strenuously, it's going to cause too many other questions and too many other postings of Musk on Twitter saying, well, if I was wrong, then what about this data point I hadn't even brought up yet? No, there are grown adults right now that are on the phone to their lawyers or their clergy, or their psychologists right now. This this is huge, what Musk has just done. This is massive, in my opinion. It is incredibly massive. I'm going to end this program by one last reading of Snow Crash. This is going to kind of encapsulate everything we talked about. Why is the deliverator so equipped? Because people rely on him. He's a role model. This is America. People do whatever the fuck they feel like doing. You got a problem with that? Because they have a right to. And because they have guns, no one can fucking stop them. And as a result, this country has one of the worst economies in the world. When it gets down to it, talking trade balances here, once we've been brain-drained, all our technology into other countries, once things have evened out, they're making cars in Bolivia and microwave ovens in Tajikistan and selling them here. Once our edge natural resources have been made irrelevant by giant Hong Kong ships and dirigibles that can ship North Dakota all the way to New Zealand for a nickel, once the invisible hand has taken all those historical inequities and smeared them out into a broad global layer of what a Pakistani brickmaker would consider to be prosperity, you know what? There's only four things we do better than anyone else. Music, movies, Microcode and high-speed pizza delivery. <laughs> and by the way, folks, that's from a book published in 1992. Yep. 1992. If you got a Kindle, download it. If you go to Amazon, buy it. Get yourself a copy of Snow Crash. And and if you can't if you can't make that kind of commitment in your time, uh, go to Wikipedia because the write-up is quite thorough. Um. It, it's a good kind of executive summary of of the book and Stevenson's work. If you want to go, if you want to go uh, dig in there, boy, is Discord uh, <laughs> getting vigorous with the commentary today. Um, so, anywho, uh, V C J, any any final? C J ducked out. He had a hard stop. No, I had nothing else to say. Thank you, fellas, for being on. It was a bombastic broadcast as usual, folks. Uh, you know, go back and listen to this. A lot of juicy stuff here, man. <sighs> Fellas, it's going to get hot this summer, boy, I tell you. Well, and we, we all may be eating a lot less, but hang in there, everybody, and we here at Rogue will we'll keep looking out for you. Yeah, it's a good time to go on a diet. We're <laughs> <laughs> going to go on a diet whether you wanted to or not. <laughs> yeah. People talk about the Maduro diet. We got, we're on the Biden diet now, buddy. Average, oh. I mean, why not? <laughs> Average weight loss will be 20 pounds across the board. <laughs> 
Hang in there, folks. Don't 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 lose the faith. Uh, v, v and I and others have a sense of humor about these things for a reason. Mm. It's not it's not just because we're having a psychotic breakdown. No, <laughs> we, no. we have not a yet, sense of humor because we, we see this stuff for what it is. Folks, great show. And uh, thank you all for listening in. Uh, enjoy your weekends. We'll be back Monday.